The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. How shall we then live? What you're really doing now is drawing everyone's attention to a set of parameters. How should we then live? Something, there is a basis for what we're doing. And the Apostle Paul does this this morning very clearly. And if you'll turn to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He does the same thing by taking the word therefore. He says, I appeal to you therefore. Now, the, the, uh, the book of, of uh, Romans can be broken down in a lot of great outlines. But generally, very basically... Chapters 1 through 11 are sound, solid doctrine. They talk about our relationship to Christ, what God thinks of us, our relationship to the world, how are we to conduct ourselves, and on and on and on it goes. Chapters 12 through 16, we might call the practical part of the book, where he takes all those deep doctrines, and now he gives practical application. So when he starts in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, he's saying, as the King James puts it, I beseech you. In other words, I'm begging you. Listen, I I am absolutely begging you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Chapters 1 through 11. His atonement, his love, his grace, his mercy, everything that he's bestowed upon us. So he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the very mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, how many of us consider our life sacrifice. How many of us even think about sacrifice on a day-to-day basis? Yet, this is what Paul is appealing to his readers. Now, that is based on all the doctrine just covered, on everything I have laid out for you, Paul is saying, how should we then live? And the answer is a paradox. We live by dying. That is, we must die in order to live. We find this teaching in many places in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, but all we have to do is to go to the very words of Jesus when he says in Luke 9, 23 through 24, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me. Now let me stop there for a minute. Who is it that comes after Jesus? Well, we know the rich young ruler went after Jesus, and he wanted to know what he had to do to be saved, to be a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Well, the rich young ruler didn't like that answer, and he turned and he walked away. Who are the ones who come after Jesus? Well, quite literally, 
It's you and me. Those of us who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who know he died for us, those of us who believe his blood shed on Calvary was payment for our sins, those of us who embrace him as our Savior, Jesus says of us, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross. Literally, on a day-to-day basis, we're to die to self. That's a tough thing to grasp and allow to fill our hearts. Now, the initial thought is, do I ever have any fun? And that's the human warped mind. And what have we found in, in Psalm 37, 4? Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When you deny yourself and give all of yourself to Christ, he changes your heart to have the mind of Christ. The goal here is changing ourselves to trust Christ every day of our lives. And he continues, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You know, it was these words that inspired this well-known prayer of St. Francis of Assisi when he said, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is by giving that we receive, and it is, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is by dying that we are born into eternal life. Now, I certainly wouldn't vouch for all the theology in that poem. But what it does is it helps us understand the underlying part of what's working in all of us. It is the situation that Paul has established right away in chapter 12. And it is what you and I are to pattern our lives after. And it is literally self-sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... A living sacrifice. Now, in Paul's culture, a sacrifice was always an animal that was presented to the priest to be killed. So, what Paul is saying here in this striking metaphor is that the Christian life begins by offering ourselves to God in death. The paradox is that by offering ourselves to God, we are enabled to live for Him. Therefore, it is by dying that we are enabled to live, period. For as Jesus said, trying to live if it's for ourselves actually leads to death. But when we die to self and live unto him, it leads to life. So it begs the question, why die to self? I mean, really, why die to self? The principle, I think, is so foundational to the doctrine of the Christian life, that we must be very careful as we lay it out. We need to understand the nature of this sacrifice and the motive for the sacrifice. The first truth, which is fundamental in this teaching, is that we are no longer our own. 
When we took Christ as Savior, we were purchased by Him. Paul states it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then in a chapter later in 1 Corinthians 2, 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Do not become servants of the world. And then, if we question, well, what was this great price that purchased us? 1 Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. In that passage, Peter uses the important word ransomed or redemption. It means to buy back or or to be bought again. It is one of the key words for describing what the Lord did and what he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. And since ransom or redemption refers to buying something or someone, the image is of a slave market in which we who are sinners are being offered to the highest bidder. And the world is ready to bid. The world bids its world's currency. It bids fame. Some people sell their souls for fame. They will do anything to become famous. It bids wealth. Millions think that making money is the most important thing a person can do. They think money will buy anything, including happiness. It bids power. Masses of people are on a power trip. They will wheel and deal and even climb over people to get to the top. And it also bids sex. Many have lost nearly everything of value for moments of indulgence. But into the midst of this vast marketplace comes Jesus Christ, who is willing to pay the ultimate price for those sinners with his blood. And God, who controls the auction, says sold to Jesus for the price of his blood. As a result... We become Jesus' purchased possession. And we must live for him rather than ourselves, as Paul and Peter have made clear. I think John Calvin said it best when he said, quote, We are redeemed by the Lord for the purpose of consecrating ourselves and all our members to him. End of quote. Now, we need to remember that we're in the practical section of Romans. Yet redemption was introduced earlier in the book in chapter 3. So what we are finding here is the example of the truth that doctrine is practical. And that practical material must be doctrinal if it is to help us at all. So the reality is being laid down very clearly by Paul here. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. We are dealing with a practical question. 
How should we then live? But the very first thing to be said in explanation should how we should live is to realize that the gospel is the very foundation of what we know. And we find keys to this in our next point, that is death to our past. Redemption from sin is not, only a doc, not the only doctrine in the Christian life of self-sacrifice. A second truth is that we have died to the past by becoming new creatures in Christ. If we are truly Christians. And this can be seen in Romans 6 where Paul argues that because we have died to sin, we are no longer part of it. I take you back to Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see, when he died on the cross to pay for our price, we died with him. When he rose from the grave and defeated death, when we come to Christ, death is defeated for us. We'll physically die, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And one day he's coming back for our body. We belong to Jesus Christ. Therefore, instead of offering the parts of our bodies to sin, Paul takes it a step farther in Romans 6, 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought or brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Now, this does not mean that we become unresponsive to sin. We are always going to be tempted this side of glory. It's the nature of the world we live in. This is a sin-cursed world, and we're always going to be tempted, and and it's a struggle. But the verb die is in what we call the aorist tense, which refers to something that had been done once for all. And here it refers to the change that has come about as a result of our being saved, redeemed, and purchased out of the slave market of sin by Christ. We don't live there anymore. We don't belong there anymore. And for those who try to live there, literally turn their backs on the grace of God. We are saints. We are a royal priesthood because of our union with Jesus Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. We have become new creatures in Christ so that we can never go back to the way we were. We are to start the Christian life with this knowledge, and if we cannot go back, we might as well go forward with Him. So make no mistake about it. If you are truly born again, you have already died to sin in the sense that you cannot successfully return there. So you might as well get on with living for Christ, forget the sinning, and present your bodies as living sacrifices. So this brings us to a very interesting point. That is dying to live. 
Because the next foundational teaching for what it means to live by dying is the paradox itself. And that it is by dying to our own desires in order to serve Christ that we actually learn to live. And notice I said, learn to live. It's a process. It's a process of growth that, that goes on and on. It is not difficult to understand what this means. We understand only too well that dying to self means putting personal desires on the back burner until we know <clears throat> through trusting Christ, being in the Word of God and being led by the Spirit, that our desires match His. We're not talking about a miserable life here. We're not talking about being monks up in the Himalayas. We're talking about living vibrant, active lives, but doing so under the leading of the Holy Spirit. The problem is not with our understanding. The problem is that we do not believe it, or at least in regards to ourself. We think that if we deny ourselves, we'll be miserable. Yet this is nothing less than disbelieving God and a failure of faith. So I ask, who are you willing to believe? Yourself, as reinforced by the world and its way of thinking, or Jesus? I say Jesus specifically because I want to remind you of his teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. He speaks there about how to be happy. In fact, the word is even stronger than that. It's the powerful word blessed, which means to be favored by God. Look at Matthew 3 in the Beatitudes beginning in verse, or Matthew 5 beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When you are living for Christ, you are favored by God. Is there any other way to live? <clears throat> Yet, we pull ourselves into our own little world and hunker down, and we're afraid to let go. Now, we call these statements beatitudes, which means the way to happiness and blessing. But this is not the way the world thinks they find happiness. The world would probably write these beatitudes like this. Blessed are the rich, for they can have all they want. Blessed are the powerful, for they can control others. Blessed are the sexually liberated, for they can fully satisfy themselves. Blessed are the famous, because they will be envied. Isn't that the world's way? The way even Christians sometimes go? Rather than self-sacrifice? But think it through carefully. The world promises blessings for those who follow those standards. But is this really what they find? The bookstores are full of those who sought wealth and prosperity and only found miserableness 
and suffering at the end. Does the world's me-first philosophy lead to happiness? I mean, seriously, do you think it really does? Well, listen to what Paul says about it in Romans 1, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, by putting themselves first, they worship themselves. And you know, every time we put our own way first, we're taking worship from the Savior and putting it on ourselves. So heed Romans 12.1, and let me add verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God does not lie. His word is utterly reliable. And you will find his ways to be good pleasing, and perfect if you yield to him. But here's where it gets pretty fascinating. The slave is now the priest. Talk about a remarkable fact. This brings us to the final truth. The first two concerned what God has done for us in redeeming us and joining us to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit so that we become new creatures. The third was the paradox, life by dying. This last point is an urgent appeal for us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. But here's the key. It's not done for us. It's something we must do. You see, when you look at the world around us, you see the turmoil, the anger, the frustration, all over Facebook, all over the news, everywhere we go. Ask yourself, what would happen if Christians lived true sacrificial lives? where we live not only for God, but for others. Where we were the constant source of love and encouragement and strength rather than our own anger and bitterness. Where we walked with God and allowed His Holy Spirit to lead us every step of the way. Think of what our world might be today. So this is the fascinating point we see. You see... This is the obedience that comes from faith. Paul wrote about this earlier in Romans, Romans 1, verse 15. Though through whom we have received grace and apostleship 
to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So again, we are back to one of the great doctrinal teachings. And what's interesting, what a fabulous mental picture Paul creates for us here in Romans 12.1. A sacrifice is something offered to God by a priest. A priest would take the sacrifice offered by the worshiper. He would carry it to the altar. He would kill it. He would drain the blood. And he would burn the animal. In that procedure, the priest and the offering were two separate entities. But... In this arresting image of what it is to live as a genuine Christian, Paul shows that the priest and the offering are the same. Furthermore, we are the priests who present the offering, and the offering we present is our own bodies. Is there a model for this? Well, of course there is. And it's none other than Jesus Christ himself. For he was both the sacrifice and the priest who made the sacrifice. Now, of course, Jesus' sacrifice differs from ours in that it was an atoning sacrifice. He died in our place, bearing our punishment and making a way for us so that we would not have to die. Still, we are like Christ's sacrifice in that we are the ones who make them, and the sacrifice that we offer is ourselves. You see, we're not talking about a boring life where we just push ourselves to the side. We're talking about a life that the Scripture says is out of sight. If you believe the Bible and you believe what Christ has said all through His teaching... When you lose yourself, man, you just begin to live. It's not what the world makes you think it is. When his will supersedes yours and you begin to learn and you begin to get an understanding of Christ and you understand his mind and you begin to follow him, you realize you're in step with God. And what's so immensely incredible is that you begin to realize that the very desires of your hearts are his. And that's an unbeatable combination. When Jesus loved us so much that he came to the cross and shed his blood and died to save us, as I've said before, it wasn't just for some far out future way when we die. It's for right now. You are a royal priesthood. You've been grafted into the family of God. You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that the Father has given Christ is yours. Can you believe that? Because you're one of the family. So when he says, when you die to self, you live, he literally means, look, get your earthly, personal, humanistic side, throw it aside, and take Jesus all the way. Take all of him. Not just his atonement, take his daily leading. Take the Holy Spirit that he gives you and allow him to comfort you and guide you every step of the way. The outcome that he promises is out of this world. 
But we're never going to get there until we learn to die to ourself. And that's why Paul began that verse, I beg you, I mean, I beg you, brothers, on the very mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice to the human mind. That's like, what, are you kidding? What, a sacrifice? Yeah, yeah. Turn everything over to him and allow him to work through you. Either you believe Jesus or you don't. And I fear there are a great many people who think they're Christians because they love the idea of being saved and knowing that they're going to heaven. But I really don't know what it means. The picture that the scriptures paint for us is a, die, is a life of sacrifice. When Jesus says, let him deny himself, if you're honest with yourself right this moment, think of one thing you've denied yourself of, other than that cream puff after dinner the other night. I mean, seriously. What have we got down, opened the scriptures, studied and said, Lord, I want this. It doesn't seem to fit you. You take me where you want to go. That's the life of victory. That's the life that builds a deep prayer life. That's the life that builds a trusting in the Spirit. That's the life that gives enter, uh, intellectual understanding of the Scriptures. That's the life that causes us to mount up with wings like eagles, to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Who wouldn't want that life? And yet it's offered so completely and clearly to every one of us. As you sit here this morning, is your life a life of sacrifice? Does King Jesus really sit on the throne of your life? What I want us to do in closing is I'm going to have Katrina put a, an old hymn up on the, on the screen. And I want us to stand and sing the two stanzas with the singers that are here. And as you're singing that, I want you to be honest with yourself. Does God really have his way in your life? And are you really trusting him? Let's stand.
Lord, we sing those words. Do you have your own way with us? Are we truly yielded to you? And can we sing with such a clear heart, have thine own way? And know that we can trust you every step of the way to lead us without question. I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of each one of us this morning. May we be honest. May we be surrendered. And may we offer ourselves to you who purchased us from the slave market of sin. And I pray, Lord, that you will do a mighty work in each one of us and in this church that you will always stay number one. That you will always lead us every step of the way. Because you said it, we can believe it. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless. Thank you.